This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. your notes for today's message. I'm going to be wrapping up this series today that we have uh, called here through the month of January, Ask It, where we've talked about learning to ask um, what I consider to be one of the most important questions you can ask about nearly every situation that you will be faced with in this new year. And the question simply is, what is the wisest thing to do? Since we've been teaching on that. Of course, I've had it on my mind, and hopefully you have as well on your mind. I can't tell you how many times, either in staff meeting or in board meetings or, or just in conversation with other people, we've, we've brought it up. What's the wisest thing to do? Not what's the easiest thing. What's the wisest thing for us today to do? So today I want to talk with you about your money, about your finances, about handling money, because Money is one of the biggest stress points in everybody's life, and, and it really probably doesn't matter how much you have, it still is a stress point in most everybody's life. I read one time where more marriages have conflict over the issue of money than any other issue that they, that they deal with in their married life. So with our, our question in mind, what is the wisest thing to do? I want to talk with you today about what's the wisest thing to do with your money financially. How should you approach a wise approach for uh, handling your money? It may surprise you to know that Jesus actually talked more about money in the Gospels than he did about the subjects of heaven and hell. That kind of seems surprising, but in in fact, half of all of the parables that Jesus told dealt with money or money management of some sort. And so he talked more about money than he did about handling uh, the issue of heaven or of hell. Now, most of you probably know what a money pit is. Uh, you may be living in one right now. The term money pit is used kind of to describe something that creates an ongoing, unexpected drain on your finances, you know? So it could be the car that you're driving. It's always breaking down. You just get it fixed, it breaks down again. It could be, uh, it could be the house you live in. Uh, you just get one problem fixed and another one shows up. It could be the man that you're married to. He's always breaking down, you know? <laughs> I don't know what it might be, you know? Those things happen. I see some women out there. Yes, yes, you know? <clears throat> So apparently it hit a nerve. You know, there's an Old Testament book that talks about money pit living. 
probably never thought of it that way if you've read the book before, but it really is talking about that. And it's the Old Testament book of Haggai. It's a a little two-chapter book among a group of 12 books that comprise the last 12 books of the Old Testament, and they're called the Minor Prophets. They aren't called Minor Prophets because they are less important than the Major Prophets. They're called Minor Prophets because they have fewer chapters to them than, than uh, than the larger prophetic books have. Most of them only have a few chapters in each book. Well, Haggai was written soon after the Jews returned home to Israel after spending, some of you remember, that they were conquered by the Babylonians. They were hauled off as captives for 70 years. This happened because of their rebellion against God, and God allowed them to be conquered by the Babylonian Empire. Well, when, when they were allowed finally to come back after their 70-year uh, uh, imprisonment, basically, in Babylon, what they found was their home city was destroyed. Uh, Jerusalem had been leveled, including the temple of God, Solomon's temple. So when the Jews returned back to Jerusalem, they began, of course, to rebuild the temple. That was really important to them. But like with most building programs, it took longer than they expected. And with the passing of time, the enthusiasm for the project began to, to wane just a bit. And so People got distracted. They started working on other things rather than the temple, and the temple then stood only partially restored. So God sent the prophet Haggai to challenge the Jews about that and to encourage them to quit working on other things, especially their own homes, and get back to work on the temple and to finish it because that was the center under Old Testament law of of the worship of God. They had allowed God to take a back seat in their hearts and in their minds, and because of that, and this is what I want you to get, the favor of God was withdrawing from them. The fa- they were still God's people, but the favor of God and his blessings was beginning to pull away because of the way they were prioritizing their lives. So God said to them through Haggai in chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Then he says, rebuild the house, rebuild my house, and then I will take pleasure in it, and I will be honored, says the Lord. So so their priorities were messed up. They were focusing on themselves to the exclusion of their worship of God, and because of that, nothing was going right in their lives. God's blessings were nowhere to be found. And God said to them, basically, how's this working out for you? How's this working out for you? Everything you work for is becoming a money pit. And God said in verse number six that it was like their pockets had holes in them. Have you ever 
experienced a money pit experience in your life? Have you gone through that experience of running out of money before you run out of month? I think probably everybody has. Carrie and I certainly have. In our case, it was a test that God was putting us through to see if we will be, would be faithful to him and to his word in spite of what the circumstances were in our lives or if we were going to allow the circumstances to dictate our obedience to him. That, as we look back, that's, that's what we have learned about what that experience was like. And I will tell you, it was a hard experience. It's hard to have faith when everything else is kind of falling apart around you, especially if you're talking about money and the finances are just not there and it's hard to have faith in God's word that what he has promised he will fulfill. But we had to learn those important lessons about the faithfulness of God. If we were going to be pastors who led churches and declared God's faithfulness, we had to experience that faithfulness ourselves. Plus we had to be challenged about that ourselves, you know. Well, I truly believe that we would have forfeited many of the blessings that have come to our lives later in life had we failed the test back then. The point is, and this is what I want you to get, sometimes holes in pockets, or what we might call today money pit living, can be the result of a testing time that God is putting you through to see if you will be faithful or not. But it can also be the result of disobedience to God's word, as it was for the Jews. They had disobeyed, and because of that, the favor of God was releasing from them. And so this is how God described their money pit experience. Verse number six, he says here, you plant much, but you harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You're clothed but still cold. You have money but you quickly lose it. In other words, no matter how hard they tried, they just couldn't get ahead. Sound familiar? That is money pit living. And I don't believe that God wants you to live in a money pit experience. I believe God wants to show you just how blessed you can be if you will follow his word. But that means you have to believe it and you have to do it. Now, I used to teach a class that that I called simply building a strong financial house. I will tell you that I am not a financier And I'm certainly not wealthy, but through the years, I have learned a few things about building a strong financial house. And Carrie and I have implemented some of the things that we have learned through those years about how to handle our finances in a God-honoring way. And and one of of the things that we learned is that basically there are two ways or two parts to giving to God. The first part is simply the tithe. The tithe is the Lord's. And the word tithe simply means a tenth or one-tenth. And and the Word of God gives us this principle in multiple places, but here's one of them, Leviticus 27, verse number 30, 
One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Okay, so that's saying, that's God saying to me today that one-tenth or 10% of my income is holy unto God. Now, when you say something is holy unto God, what that means is that it belongs to him. He owns it. Now, here's the deal. You control it. It's yours. It's in your pocket. And you have to choose to be obedient in that area. But whether you choose to be obedient or not, it's still his. And what, what he's saying here, and especially we understand this more completely in the New Testament, is that really when we talk about the, the tithe, that people say, well, that's an Old Testament concept. You're exactly right. It is. The New Testament concept is 100%. It's all of it. So all of it belongs to God. But all God requires of us is that we acknowledge his ownership of everything by paying our tithe. When you pay your tithe, you're acknowledging that he owns the whole amount and you submit yourself to him. Now here's another thing I learned about this thing called tithe is that the tithe is really the first tenth of my income. It's not the second tenth, it's not the fifth tenth, it's not the tenth tenth. It is the first tenth of my income. That means it is the first thing that I pay when I receive my salary. I will tell you that the very first thing Carrie and I pay when we are paid is our tithe. We don't pay anything else. So we don't pay our mortgage first. We don't pay any credit cards. I will tell you, I don't have any credit card debt. But we don't, we don't, uh, we don't pay on anything else. We pay our, our tithe first to the Lord. Uh, because my tithe, as, as the first part of my, of my uh, income, is, is a sign that all of my income belongs to him. And when I give God the first, what happens is he redeems the rest of it. What that means is he multiplies the rest. He magnifies the rest. He blesses the rest. And I want that. So I learned that the tithe is the Lord's and the tithe is really the first 10%. It's not later down the road. You say, well, it's all 10%, but it's, 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 what we're, it's the covenant we're into. And so I do this in a variety of, of ways. We worship on Sunday. Do you know that Sunday is the first day of the week? Some of you think Monday is. It's not. Sunday is the first day of the week. And when we worship together on Sunday, it redeems the remainder of the week. Um, <clears throat> when I do my devotions, I do them the first part of the day. Why? Because it redeems the remainder of the day. Now, I'm not legalistic about this. I'm not trying to put you under law. I'm just trying to teach you that this is a way to greater blessings in your life, okay? So the tithe is the first tenth. Now, the second part of giving to God is what the Bible calls the offering. And offerings are gifts that are given above the tithe. So it's as simple as that. So we bring our tithe and our offerings to the Lord. And we encourage you 
to bring your offerings because the offerings have a special blessing upon them. Exodus 25, 2 tell, says, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offering, accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. So this is not law that you have to do. It's, it's a sense, uh, here's how I would put it. The tithe is, is Bible-led or word-led. Offerings are spirit-led. It's, and that's exactly what it said. As their hearts are moved to offer them. That's the moving of the spirit. So I don't tell you what to do with your offerings. You don't tell me. God tells us as we try to be faithful to fulfill his word. Now, Carrie and I give offerings to God above our tithe. Now, we, we do it in a variety of places, but especially to missions works and to missionaries through Life Church. And, and the reason we do that is because this money that we give offerings through Life Church is given 100% to the missionaries that we support. In other words, what I'm telling you is that Life's, Life Church does not skim anything off of your offerings to keep, you know, for administrative costs, you know. Uh, do you know that there are some organizations out there that are benevolent organizations that skim as much as 50% of everything you give them off? In other words, you gave to that the flood victims in such and such a state or something through an organization, and 50% of that will be taken and used for administrative costs, and only 50 cents of your dollar goes to actual helping the people. I want you to know that when you give your offerings, 100% of it, with no skimming, goes exactly to wherever you have designated that, and I just wanted you to know that. Now, going back to the class that I taught, this is what I shared with that class. So if in your mind, if you could just kind of picture your finances as a house. So every house has a, has a foundation, uh, and, and the foundation isn't all of the house, but it is actually the most important part of the house because if there isn't a foundation under the house, the whole house will fall down very easily. So the foundation's critical. So in my teaching to the class, I had each part of my limited knowledge about homes and so forth, uh, I, I, had, I, I talked about each part of the house, like the foundation, like the walls, I talked about the roof, the doors, the windows, and all of these various sections of the house represented a certain part of having a strong financial house. And this is what I taught them. The foundation of a strong financial house is your tithe. It's not the only part of a strong financial house, but it is the most important part because if it is not laid, then the rest of the house will come down on you. It won't stand, not forever, not for long. And for some, it comes down quickly. For others, it takes longer, but it will come down eventually. And, and so what I wanted the people to understand was the necessity of building on a, the tithe. Now, I was taught as a kid that if all I had to do was tithe and God would take care of every need that I had, and what I found out, that wasn't true. I could still get myself in a, in a real financial hole because I was stupid about how I was dealing with my finances. I tithe, but I was, I, was stu I was getting myself in too much debt, for instance, something like that. 
There are other principles to having a strong financial house, but what I'm saying to you is the most important principle is the foundation of the tithe. So what is the wisest thing you can do with your money? You can pay your tithe to God. That's the first and foremost thing. And, and how is that supposed to happen? Well, Malachi 3.10 puts it this way, bring all of the tithes into the storehouse though so there'll be enough food in my temple. Okay, so what is the storehouse and why does it reference food here? In the Old Testament, you know, they had the temple and then they had the wall of the temple that went around, not just the temple, but it went around a, a long distance, a, a large chunk of property uh, around the, the temple itself. And so uh, the Old Testament storehouse then was a storage area where the people would bring their tithe and it would be placed in there. And some of their tithe would have been money as Israel prospered. But initially, it would have been produce primarily or animals that would have been brought in. And what the, the storehouse was used for was, uh, well, I think the maintenance of, of the buildings for one thing. But beyond that, and more importantly, it was used for the feeding of the priests and the feeding of the poor within the nation of Israel. They, they used the storehouse to bless the people. So in other words, the storehouse was a place of feeding. That's why he said, bring food, you know, uh, into the storehouse. Bring your tithe, there might be enough food in my temple. So today the storehouse then would be the place that you receive your feeding. Only we're not feeding you lunch today, we're feeding you the word of God today. So that's your spiritual feeding in today's culture. So if, you're, if the place you get your spiritual feeding is a local church that you call your church home, you are to tithe to that church. If, if you want to support missionaries, if you want to give to the poor, whatever, that then is supported as you are moved by the Spirit for it with your offerings. But the tithe is to be brought to the storehouse. And it's be brought to the church because that's where you receive your spiritual feeding. And it becomes an act of obedience and it becomes an act of blessing. Your life is lifted out of the money pit. Now, back in late November, I will tell you that I received an email from one of our families. I will let them remain anonymous. I will tell you they're sitting in this audience right now. They were telling me how much they had grown in this area of their tithe and the blessings that they were reaping because of it now. Now, it was a four-page email, so there is absolutely no way that I have enough time to read this email to you. But I have done my best to edit it down to give you the vital parts. I want you to hear their testimony. And this is what was written. He writes, every time I hear Pastor Jim talk about giving tithe, I can't help but think back to the time when I went through uh, when, when I thought tithe was nothing but a big scam designed to make churches wealthy. I find my thoughts going there because I know there are people in our church who are thinking the way I used to think, with skepticism and non-belief. And I wish I could show them a glimpse of my life and how my opinion about the tithe has greatly changed. Well, then he shares a story about him leaving a very bad job situation and how actually it was through that that he and his wife started praying. Even though they weren't going to church, even though they probably weren't serving God the way they should have at the time, they started praying and asking God to help them in this process. And the change that 
this brought to their family was incredible. So he goes on and he says, I was not a churchgoer. I was scorned by religion as a child and never wanted any part uh, of God or church as I knew it. But something happened or changed in early 2009, in July of 2009. Very shortly after I left my job, I was sitting at the intersection of 47 South and Bangor. I looked, looked up and I saw Life Church and for some reason was drawn to it with such powerful feelings that it stuck with me and soon would have a profound effect upon my life. The very first time we went, of course, Pastor Jim spoke about giving tithe. <laughs> I thought to myself, what better way was there than giving tithe for me to prove to God that I knew he heard my prayers about leaving my job and knowing that he was going to take care of us. So after speaking to my wife, we decided to give tithe. And then he talks about some real financial challenges, and I thought this was important, that they faced after they made their commitment to tithe. After they started uh, tithing, things went south on them. I want you to know this, the devil will attack you, you know, when you make a commitment. But he goes on and says, during the financial hardships came some of the most amazing blessings our eyes have ever witnessed. We never deviated from our plan to prove to God we believed in him to take care of us uh, by our financial sacrifice to his kingdom. Well, then he spends the next several pages of his email to talking about how faithfully God had come through for them since their decision to, to tithe. And I wish I had the time to share the miracles that he enumerates that, that happened in their lives. But this is how he ends the email. He says, fast forward seven years from the time my wife and I started to trust God with our tithe. Everything that we lost during those years of testing, God has replaced. All of the shop tools, our personal belongings, an RV, if I'd had time to read, you'd know all about that. And we, were, and we are better off financially than we have ever been in our lives. But the two most important things that we, ha that we have gained is, number one, knowing no matter what happens in our lives, as long as we are faithful in giving our tithe to God, he will keep his promises to us and provide for us. Hallelujah. And number two, through his faithfulness and promises, we are now able to give more way to help others than we ever thought possible. I was so pleased when I got that email and just so happy for this family. And frankly, I want you to know that's exactly what I want for each of you. Now, if you tell me, well, Pastor, I've been tithing over the last year uh, and things have gotten worse for us, there might be some reasons for that. But it's not because you're tithing. There might be some other reasons. Now, to that end today, I want to challenge you to take the next 90 days to commit faithfully to tithing. Uh, we do this every year, just 90 days, because it has made so much of an impact and brought so much blessing upon so many families in our church. We call it our 90 day money back guarantee. <laughs> I don't know how many churches you ever go to that offer this, but here's what I'm willing to do. If you will commit to tithing faithfully for the next 90 days, if at the end of that time, you do not believe that this has been a source of blessing or growth in your life, you can request a full refund of all the money that you have given to Life Church, and we will give you back every single penny you have given to us 
of verified funds. That means you can't just walk up and say, oh, I gave you 10,000 bucks. I didn't, I didn't put it in an envelope. I just, I just gave you 10,000. That won't work. You've got to either buy check, credit card, or put it, cash in an, in an envelope. That's how you get it verified. And if we have record of it, we will give you back everything you ask for. So I'm going to ask our ushers if they would come, please, and uh, pass this commitment card out to each of you. And we'll pick them up in just a moment. So if you guys could get it to them real quickly, I'd appreciate it. Um, you know, um, and, and I'll read it, we'll read it together here in just a moment when everybody's been served. Um, well, you, you can all read it here on the screen over me, even if you haven't received it. It says Malachi 3.10. We've already read that scripture. It just says, understanding that God's word makes it clear that the tithe is sacred and belongs to the Lord, and understanding that the Lord has promised great blessing upon those who obey God's word. I therefore commit to obey the Lord in the area of the tithe of the first fruits, the first 10%, for the next 90 days, understanding that if at the end of those 90 days I have not received blessings from the Lord and growth in my spiritual life, I may request a full refund of all money given to the church upon full verification of money given. So this is January, February, March, April, be somewhere towards the latter part of uh, April that, that you can come up to me. If you turn it over on the back side, it says uh, there's a circle, it says, yes, Pastor Jim, I'm willing to trust God and commit to paying my full tithe and so forth over the next 90 days. Or there's a second circle that says, I already tithe the first fruits and will continue to do so. And then all we ask is that you legibly, do you know what the word legibly means? <laughs> Clearly. It means some of, what is clear to you may not be clear to us. So uh, if you could please clearly uh, fill out your name and your address, your phone and your email, and um, that would be able to, even if you think we already have it, go ahead and do that so we can check and make sure our records are correct. All right, now, while you're, you're doing that, um, I was thinking about a boxing match. Um, I don't like this new kickboxing stuff that they have. I, I don't know what you call it. It seems kind of, what is it called? Yeah, UFC stuff, you know, it seems pretty brutal. I like the old-fashioned boxing where, you know, the blood came out of the nose, not, <laughs> not all over the body, you know. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? It's just the old-fashioned kind, old kind. You know, in a boxing match, when a fighter is done, when he's had it, he can't go back. He doesn't want to go back. Instead of getting back into the ring when the bell signals, the next round, he tosses in the towel. And when you toss in the towel in the ring, that's a sign that, that, that he, he's giving a sign that, that he's, he admits defeat, he's lost, he's quitting, and he's done. And we all, you know, you've heard that term, he's tossing in the towel, she's tossing in the towel. You know, we use that, some of you may not know where that comes from, that comes from boxing. You know, toss in. There's another uh, little phrase out of the world of boxing. In the good old days, if there was such a thing, it used to be that uh, spectators at a boxing match would be invited to come up into the ring themselves and have a go 
at one of the pros that were up there. They could, if they felt like they could take out the dude, they were invited to come up and give it their best shot. Uh, so some courageous or not so smart man would, would make it official by throwing his hat into the ring. That's where that comes from. Have you heard, you've heard about that in politics? Well, Donald Trump threw his hat into the presidential race. What an idiot. He doesn't have a chance, you know. But he threw his hat into the ring, you know. And we hear that all the time when it comes to, uh, to, to politics. It's actually a boxing term, okay. So in other words, to throw your hat into the ring was to accept the challenge from which you could not back down if you wanted your hat back. You couldn't get that hat back unless you went and took on the champ. Now today, metaphorically, you're holding a towel in one hand and a hat in the other. And you're going to decide with your life what this year is going to be for you. Some of you are going to decide right now that you're going to throw in the towel. You're already defeated. I don't believe it. I'm not going to give it a shot. I'm not even I'm not going to trust God with this area. Others of you have never done it before. But you know what? You're going to throw your hat in the ring. And you're going to say, I'm going to step up and I'm going to believe God for something better in my life. Um, I want to encourage you today to take on the challenge. I want to encourage you today to say, God, I'm going to put you to the test. I want to just leave you this last scripture that uh, is the last part of Malachi 3.10. He says, if you do, in other words, if you tithe, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, you'll like it. Put me in. This, you know, this is the only time in all of God's word it tells you to test God at something. This is the only time. But it says, put me to the test on this. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.